We're going to start this morning with a quiz. Who, anybody know who that is? Man, you guys are like up on your criminals. I thought that would take some time, but it's like Al Capone. Uh, yeah, that's Al Capone. Al Capone was, of course, a mob guy, mafia guy in Chicago. As a matter of fact, have you ever flown into O'Hare Airport? Anybody ever flown into O'Hare? O'Hare is named after the son of an associate of Al Capone. His son was a World War II hero, and it was named. So O'Hare, whenever you fly into O'Hare, think Al Capone. Of course, Al Capone was uh, in, in, in Chicago in the 20s. He's famous for the Valentine's Day massacre, and so, you know, we're honoring that this weekend, and, you know, seven guys gunned down, mobsters gunned down. Why, why did Al Capone go to prison? Anybody remember? Taxes. Tax evasion. He went to prison. They could not get him for any of the murders or anything he committed. He was brutal, and he ends up in jail at Alcatraz for taxes, and he only serves eight years. After eight years, Al Capone is released, and he's got severe mental illness because of uh, venereal diseases. At least that's what his lawyers allege. You know, you, you know how that sometimes works in those circumstances. But Al Capone dies at home, <laughs> surrounded by his family in 1947 in Florida. It's, it's always interesting. We always assume this guy went to pr prison forever. He served eight years, and then his wife, May, didn't die till. 1986. And so they reaped a long time benefit uh, from his crimes. But, but many of us know of Al Capone more from television shows. Uh, anybody personally know Al Capone? Uh, no, okay. No, no associates out there. Anybody remember the show The Untouchables? Uh, the black and white TV show The Untouchables? That was late night, a staple for me. And, and I don't even think it's on anywhere anymore. But, but the late night show The Untouchables and then Kevin Costner re-released The Untouchables as a movie, and he had Sean Connery in there, and Sean Connery was this Irish cop in Chicago, and, and he says this, Sean Connery does to Kevin Costner, how do you get Capone? You want to know how you do it? Here's how. They pull a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to a hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way, and that's how you get Capone, all right? That's not the Marysville way, I hope. But, but it demonstrates a philosophy of retaliation. And oftentimes, we, we see life as a choice between two things, fight or flight. Uh, many choose in difficult circumstances increased retaliation. A good example of that in, in the scriptures is the story of Samson. <laughs> Reread the story of Samson. It just, you know, it just goes over the top with Samson, with re increased retaliation between Samson and the Philistines. Uh, in the church world, many Christians believe that flight is our only alternative, that, that, that there, there is this theme in, in some theologies of almost a doormat uh, theology that, that, that we're to take, and, and there, there's, there's nothing but flight that we can do in response to conflict. But I believe Jesus invites us to something more. J Jesus does not invite us to constant retaliation. Amen? And Jesus does not invite us to be doormats as well. Uh, but, but Jesus invites us to, to what many theologians call the third way. And, 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 the, and the third way, uh, to, to understand what real love is, 
we have to understand the third way. And we're dealing with real love. What is real love? And, and you know, we, we talked about how we use the word love in many different ways. We love spaghetti and we love our kids and, and all those kind of things. And, and then we've been talking about agape. We understand that in our language, we use the word love to cover a lot of things. But that the, in the Greek, they, they have these four levels of love. And agape is this greatest love, this unconditional God-like love. And and most of the time in the scripture, when there's a call to love, it's this agape, God-like, self-giving love. And, and God calls us to love like God loves. And, and, and we've talked about that. But, but real love is not fight or flight. Real love practices the third way. And so as we move through the end of Matthew 5, we're in Matthew 5, verse 38, uh, through verse 48, a lot of verses today. Matthew 5, of course, begins, this is Jesus' public ministry, and, and Matthew kicks it off with, with a song, with a poem, the Beatitudes, and, and I believe we preached through the Beatitudes not too long ago, and, and, and then he goes into these, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world statements, and, and, and then he goes into six antithesis, and, and and, and, and you're familiar with this. Jesus will say, say things like, you have heard, but I tell you. And Jesus begins to deconstruct the Jewish way of thinking. And he says in, in, in verses 21 through 30, he talks about anger uh, being the same as murder and lust equaling adultery. You know, he really raises the bar. You know, you, you, you've been told not to commit adultery. I tell you, if you even lust, you've been told not to commit murder. But I tell you, if you're even angry with your brother. And, 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 you know, we don't have time to unpack all those. I wish we did. But, but Jesus is saying, don't view people as objects, but as individuals of great value, created in the image of your heavenly Father. Then verses 31 through 37, he has two more antithesis. It talks about divorce and oaths. And he says, you know, you've been told that you can divorce. And I say, you know, stay married. And you've been, you're taking these oaths. And Jesus is talking to people that were constantly looking for a way out. And Jesus says, your heavenly father calls you to look for a way through. And our commitment is what can I add to this relationship? What can I add to this commitment? Not simply what's in it for me. And then today's verses 38 through 48. Of course, the same verses our kids are in. And so when you drive home in the car, you can talk about what they think about loving their enemies. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so the verse 38, we'll stop right there, just talk about this a little bit. This is Exodus 21, 23 through 25. It's Leviticus 24, 20. And, and some will look at this and say, well, that's barbaric, eye for an eye. But, but you have to understand the historical context of this passage. Uh, th this is a limitation. And in the Jewish law, this is a limitation on what they could do for revenge. In the culture that this was given, it would not have been un, unheard of for someone in a village to be killed and that village to go and wipe out the other village for the one life. And so what you find here is a limitation. Uh, God's saying, listen, if, 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 if there's something that happens, I want you to limit your response to something's equal. I don't want you to up the ante. If they kill your kid, I don't want you to go wipe out their whole village. But I want you to limit your response. That this is a mandate 
against personal revenge. You know, it reminds me, I was in a Sunday school class several years ago, and, and, and the person was talking about how one of their individuals in their family was accidentally killed, accidentally killed, accidentally killed. And I can never forget the person was saying, well, you know, I really think this person that accidentally killed my relative should face the death penalty. <laughs> you know, our personal feelings can sometimes get in the way of what's fair, right? <laughs> can we all acknowledge it? Sometimes, you know, personal feelings will cause us to do more. And in the context of a society that was extremely barbaric, uh, the instructions God gives to his people is a limitation on how they would enact revenge. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And now, we have to understand this, and we're, we're going to act this one out a little bit. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I'm really not going to smack Bob. Um, but can you stand up for me just for a second? In, in, in this culture, come, come, come here. I'm not, I'm not going to smack you, brother. Uh, I'd do that in private. And uh, in, in this culture, he, he's not talking about fist fight. Jesus is talking a right handed slapping on the right cheek is an insult. And Jesus is talking about someone insulting you and slapping you on with their right hand, which would be a typical way. And if Bob turns his head like that, can I hit him in the back with a backhand? I can't. The, the only way I can hit Bob is with a fist. You can sit down. I'm, I would only give Bob a hand. <laughs> And what Jesus is saying, when someone wants to insult you, sure, let them insult you. But, but if they're going to respond again, they, they have to hit you full force with their fist. And in so doing, they'll be saying you are equal. It's no longer an insult, but saying you are equal to me. You are not lesser than me. I cannot diss you anymore, but you are an equal person with me. If anyone wants to sue you, and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And Jesus, and, and I won't demonstrate this one, okay? Jesus is saying if they take your outer garment, give them all your clothes. And so when you go to the court, when you walk into the court, you walk into the court completely naked. Aren't you glad I'm not showing you this one live? Say amen naked with your clothes in your hand to hand over to your creditor. You think, well, how embarrassing. See, the, to, to be naked in this culture is, is shameful. But the shame is not on the person that's naked. But, but the shame is on the creditor that's standing there looking at the person taking everything they have. And so in both of these instances, Jesus has reversed it, and he's not only, he's not asking for personal revenge, but he's elevating the personhood of the person who's being insulted and sued, and he's requiring the person who's doing the insulting and doing the suing to really see what's going on. Let's go on. Are, are we tracking? All right. Whoever forces you to go my, one mile... Go with him too. And so when Jesus is talking about this, it, the, Jerusalem, Israel was an occupied nation. And so with an occupied nation, the, the Roman army, believe it or not, had rules with its soldiers. There, there were things that they could do and things that they couldn't do. 
And one of the things they could do is a Roman soldier could, could demand of anyone to carry their backpack for one mile, but no more than one mile. And so what Jesus is doing here, it's almost comical, is, is this ideal of a Roman soldier giving his backpack to somebody and him carrying it a mile and then just keep going with it. And, and, and eventually the guy's going, hey, can, 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 I have, can I have my backpack back, please? Please give me my back. And so he's reversing, he's reversing what's going on. No, no longer is it the Roman soldier asking you to carry the backpack, but it's the Roman soldier begging for the backpack back so they don't get in trouble with their military commander. And so this is what commonly is referred to in Jesus' teaching as the third way. And it's been the inspiration for people like Gandhi. You know, Gandhi is famous for, for loving Jesus. Gandhi's famous for saying, I, I like your Jesus, but I don't like you Christians too much. Uh, if you Christians were more like Jesus, I'd probably become Christian, things like that. Gandhi is, it was used Jesus as the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus as an example for his, his passive resistance, not passive aggressive resistance, but passive resistance in India. And Martin Luther King Jr. used Jesus, used these scriptures for the, theological support for things like sit-ins, the, 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 the passive resistance that you saw in the civil rights movement. And so we call this the third way. And, and it's a way of, it's something between flight and fight, and, and it's a way to handle conflict in which you're able to you're able to take the moral initiative. And so most of us will have conflicts this week, right? Anybody in here have conflicts this week? How many is planning on having a conflict this week just for the principle of it? <laughs> Don't, not for the principle of it. But I'd suggest this week in, in conflicts, how can you seize the moral initiative? What is a creative alternative to retaliation? How can you break a cycle of retaliation? All of us in this room will have opportunities to put this passage to action in our lives. Everybody will. Now, it won't be the same as what Jesus explained because Jesus is giving us some opportunities to practice some creative ways to not only lift our personhood and say, you know, listen, I, you know, I'm a person, you're a person, we're, we're equal in God's eyes, but a way to break the cycle of retaliation. And then verse 42, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And Jesus is, is summing up, if you will, these, the antithesis with, with these comments. It's, it's about generosity and kindness. It's about uh, pursuing building relationship instead of tearing relationship down. And then in this we have this transition to the conclusion of the passage you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy hate your enemy 
Uh, first, Jesus adds this hate your enemy. You're not going to find that in Scripture. Not in connection with this verse. You will not find this verse as, okay, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Matter of fact, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. This passage doesn't include hating your neighbor. The, 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 the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.5, you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And then this command, love your neighbor as yourself. Hilliel, who was a, a Jewish sage, said that you can sum up the law. He could sum up the law by, while standing on one foot. So this is like the Jewish sage Olympics, okay? And he says, don't do what is hateful to your neighbor. That sums it up. Love your neighbor. And so, so when Jesus adds this hate your enemy, it's not scripture. Matter of fact, the psalmist says, it talks about hating the enemies of God. But, but I got to tell you, I, 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 that's kind of questionable to me. Does God have enemies? <laughs> uh, does a God that will send his son that will die in our place really have enemies? In fact, the Old Testament's full of reference of kindness to enemies. Proverbs 25, 21, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Exodus 23, 4-5, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it for him or with him. And so the Old Testament is full of references of enemies being loved by the people of God. Elisha and Naaman, the, the Syrian. You know, this is an enemy of the people of Israel. And Elisha, Elisha, did I say Elisha? <laughs> Whatever. Elisha, Elijah, Elijah, Elisha, Elisha. Am I saying it right now? Uh, now I've said it too many times. Elisha heals Naaman the Syrian, the enemy. You see it with David and King Saul. If, if anybody ever had an enemy, David's enemy was King Saul. And David, time after time, shows kindness to King Saul. Perhaps Jesus is thinking of the Essenes. The Essenes would say things like, love the brotherhood, hate the outsider. Perhaps Jesus is thinking of the question or thinking of the, 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 the lawyer that asked him the question that there's this ideal that I can, I can love my neighbor and hate everybody else. Maybe it's just the way they lived. Placing limits on love. Who do I have to love? Who's my neighbor? If they're not my neighbor, I, I don't have to love them. And not only do I not have to love them, I can hate them. You know, we, we sometimes do that too. Well, let's not just make this a biblical thing, but it happens in our lives as well. Who do we don't have to love? <laughs> you know, when does somebody become an enemy? You know, when they haven't spoken to us for a certain amount of time, when, when maybe they say or do something, when, when, when somehow they displease us. And, and Jesus gives us a third way. Jesus says, okay call them enemy. That's fine. 
You, you want to use that language? Fine. You, you can call them enemy instead of neighbor, but let me tell you how you respond to enemy. And the way you respond to enemy is you respond to enemy the, way, the same way God responds to enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> you see what Jesus does? When we start to label neighbor and enemy, he says, fine, use your labels. But when you use that label, guess what? The call is the same. The call is the same. Love them. Bonhoeffer says, this is the supreme command. Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Jesus is saying, that's fine. You, you can call him enemy. Bet you can't hate him. You gotta love him. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, rain and sunshine, it's easy for me to grasp sunshine as being a blessing from God. I, I got to tell you, when God's pouring buckets of ice water on my head, it's hard for me to see that as blessing. Anybody with me? We live in an area where ice water falls from the sky. Does that not bother anyone else in this room other than me? Okay, well, it bothers me. Give me snow. The ice cubes from the sky can stop at any time. But rain and sunshine are universal signs of blessing. And, and Jesus is saying, I, I want you to see and I want you to understand that my heavenly Father blesses everyone. That, that God has a universal blessing for people who serve Him and people who don't. God, God blesses people who reject Him and God blesses people who accept Him. Our God is a universal blesser. And He's calling us to be sons. And when He uses the phrase sons, what He's saying is, you, you need to have the same characteristic as your father. And your father's characteristic is to bless. God blesses all. And he's calling his sons and daughters to have those same characteristics and bless them all as well. You know, Amy referred to a passage today. It's Romans 12, 19 through 20. It's, it's, it's from the Old Testament. It's, it's a proverb. It's an idiom. It's a saying. You know, the meaning has some question. Paul writes, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. I had a friend in college that, that would say, when the rapture occurs... I hope God lets me float like five feet above the ground so I can point in people's face and say, see, told you. <laughs> oh, we're weird people, aren't we? <laughs> Blessings that curse. What? <laughs> can I tell you, I, you know, I, I, I struggle with this idea of blessings that curse. And, and truthfully, at the worst, 
Most commentators believe that, 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 that this is a reference of burning coals as being a change of mind. That the, that the burning coals, it, when you're blessing people, it's not that you, you're somehow punishing them, but the burning coals is something reflecting on their mind and how they think, and the burning coals reflects somehow God is changing how they think about you and about circumstances. A few, and this is what I like, suggests that it refers to a, an ancient practice of how they would carry fires from home to home. And, and what they would do is they would put it in a pot. Anybody ever been to a foreign country where they, they carry everything on their head? <laughs> you ever been to Guatemala, that's how they carry everything on their head, or you know, the, the Central American countries. And, and so what many believe is going on here is it's a reference of putting coals in a pot and carrying it on your head. And so those coals can go from that home, your home, to their home. And in blessing, you're sending blessing. I got to tell you, that, that's a more comfortable interpretation of the scripture to me than the ideal that God is somehow wanting us to bless people so that we curse them. We don't bless people to curse them. We bless people to bless them. Boy, I thought I'd get at least one amen. I mean, right? Isn't that consistent with our Heavenly Father that, that He doesn't bless us so He can somehow tear us down, but He blesses us because He loves us and He wants to bless us. And God calls us to be sons of Him and to bless people, not to somehow bring curses on their houses, but to bring blessing to their houses. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You ever look in a mirror? You can go ahead and show that image. I thought I'd show a cute baby and maybe that'd make you guys happy for a while. You ever look in a mirror? When, when you look in a mirror, is it different than what the image is that's looking at the mirror? I mean, when, when you look in the mirror, do, do you ever see um, Tom Selleck instead of yourself? Or, or you know, boy, I got to get newer references. Who, who's a good looking guy now? Uh, who's a good looking, who? 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 Ryan Gosling? Do I look like Ryan Goosling? Or, um, I mean, put, put your, when you look in the mirror, do you see yourself? It's a reflected image, right? It's no different than the image that's looking into the mirror. And Jesus is talking about a culture that's just reflecting back what everybody else is doing. They reflect back what is shown. And they're living in a culture that's reflecting back flight or fight, bitterness and anger, and they're just reflecting it back. Reflected images are not creative images. You understand what I'm saying? That, that what's in the mirror is not creative. <laughs> Try it. You know, look in the mirror and just look as long as you want and see if it ever becomes something different than what's looking into the mirror. God calls us to demonstrate our creative God. To, to not reflect a culture that's broken and ugly and bitter and angry 
And we live in a culture that's broken and ugly and bitter and angry, right? But God calls us, His people, His church, to not reflect the culture, but to be human conduits. When we demonstrate real love, we become conduits through which our creative God can flow. Don't be a mirror, be a conduit. See, Jesus is saying, don't be mirrors. Don't be mirrors of the attitudes around you. You know, tax collectors love tax collectors and brothers love brothers. And don't just be like everybody else. But be conduits God can flow through. Whereas love can come through. You know, we can either reflect our neighbor or show God. And Jesus says, show God. How can I love my enemy? Practical advice, prayer. Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, Jesus is praying on the cross for his enemies. Stephen being stoned. You know, we, we cannot pray as an intercessor and still hate people. It's impossible. Try it. You, 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 cannot, you cannot pray for someone that's wronged you without God beginning to do something within you. Prayer changes us. I would submit, and you know, I believe God is moved through prayer, but, but I believe God moves us more through prayer than we move God through prayer. That, that, that the real change of prayer occurs within. Barclay writes, No one can pray for others and still hate them. When we take ourselves and those whom we're tempted to hate to God, something happens. We cannot go on hating others in the presence of God. The surest way of killing bitterness is to pray for those whom we are tempted to hate. Jesus is giving us a third way with our enemies. And it's a third way that heaps blessing on them and invites change within. This, this isn't some impractical advice that Jesus is giving us. I think this is highly practical because Jesus is saying, what else can you do? Well, why don't you start with prayer? Why don't you start with spending some time just saying, God, can you bless? Can you change? Can you... And just see what God might do? Then here's the end of this passage. <laughs> you guys got your seatbelts on? This is a seatbelt passage. This is one that when we hear it, we should say, oh, why'd you have to say that, Jesus? Right? I think that, because i got to tell you, I've not arrived at this. I've not. I think this is... I think this is a lifelong call of trusting Him. This is a faith verse for me. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. You know, this would be a kind of an interesting one. I could invite everybody that's already there, just go ahead and leave. And, uh, and uh, I'm not there, folks. And I believe that Jesus is offering, inviting us to this process where we just allow God just to continue to work on us. Letting go. You know where I've arrived? I've arrived to this point where 
whatever you want, God. I'll do. And, and, and when I'm wrong, God, <laughs> I want you to tell me I'm wrong. And, and when I'm wrong, God, I'll say I'm sorry to you. And if it's fitting, I'll say I'm sorry to the person that I wronged. <laughs> That's where I am. Where are you? <laughs> you ever hear the phrase, be like Mike? That's a reference to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's been kind of forgotten since Kobe passed away. Now Kobe Bryant's all in the news. And, but back in the day, I think most people thought Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time. And he had a, a, a Nike ad called Be Like Mike with, I think it was Spike, Spike Jones. Is that right? Uh, Be, Spike Lee. All right. Be Like Mike. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like God. I do. I want God's characteristics to be my characteristics. And the, and the truth is, I don't believe that's possible in and of myself. I believe this ideal of being perfect like my Heavenly Father, to be like God, to, to have the mind of Christ, all these impossible commands on their face that Jesus gave us, it is not possible by me just willing it and thinking it and studying it. But, but, but the only way that I can become like God, perfect like God, is to stop being a mirror and become a conduit. To not be so consumed and concerned about what other people think and what other people do, but to find my bearings in the Word and find my bearings to the Spirit and find my bearings in a church and find my bearings in a small group and, and begin to learn to practice generosity and forgiveness and allow God just to flow through me. <laughs> to, to be at this place in my life where when God calls me to do something difficult, I'll say things like, well, not my will, but your will. Even when I don't feel like it. Anybody ever have to do anything that they don't feel like doing? Right? Right? Anybody, anybody feel like paying taxes? No? See, our Heavenly Father calls us every once in a while to do things that aren't easy. And I don't think, if Jesus can't arrive to this point, if it takes Jesus wrestling with the will of God in the garden, I'm amazed that we don't believe we'll never have to wrestle with the will of God in our life. I believe all of us will have instances where we have to wrestle with what God wants for us. It's okay. The Beatitudes culminates with blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And, and, and it's, it seems like a kind of, you start with the pure in heart. That seems like the best one to stop with. But Jesus stops with being a peacemaker, a shalom maker, a wholeness bringer. Je, Jesus stops with this ideal be, be, be a person that your life is consumed with bringing wholeness to your life and the lives of others. And you will be called the sons of God. You will be, you will be living with the characteristics of your heavenly father if you're a person that's consumed with bringing peace and wholeness to others. And then he culminates the antithesis in the same way. Be perfect like your heavenly father. Love like God. Be intercessor. Be conduits.
So my question for you this morning, this week, and the opportunities that you have, are you a mirror or a conduit? Are you just reflecting? Or are you allowing your creative God to flow through?